see the stars. Yes, you have to look through the small lens, hmm? not the big lens. Otherwise, you just get a headache, right? That's also true. Pujapatsuta Maharaj liked to use that example in relation to the Guru Parampara. Because the previous guru always looks a little bigger, mm-hmm. a little better. Uh, that's not looking very clearly, though, very closely. Hmm? The closer the guru is to us, uh, then the closer Krishna is to us, even. Therefore, it's said, uh, in, for example, in Hari Bhakti Vilasta, statements like, a Brahman should have a Brahman guru, a Sudra should have a Sudra guru. There's, of course, a relative consideration. We should all have a spiritual guru. Hmm? But if you have a guru who's also who's spiritual, who's qualified, and you're... Um, a Latino, then better to have a Latino qualified guru. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he's, he's that much closer to you. He knows how you think. We used to sit with Prabhupada in his darshan, and then he would give the darshan, and there would be an Indian boy in there, uh, sometimes in, in Bengal or in Vrindavan. And, and after the lecture, Prabhupada would look to him and say, So you understood? And he would go, Yes, and probably go, and then I would be in the kitchen. He'd probably nod his head. He'd be in the kitchen washing pots. So they had a way of communicating. Because they're from the same, you know, appearing in the same culture. That's a cultural kind of closeness and so forth. That uh, it facilitates uh, communicating the ideas. So the closer, the better. But then the closer, maybe the harder to understand sometimes. Because it's hard to understand love. We're, we've tried love and we have failed. <laughs> We've tried love and we have, what did it say? First cut is the deepest. That was a song. Something <laughs> like that. Oh, we've been cut so many times. <laughs> Still real shy for that, for giving ourselves. And here comes someone who's so prepared to give. So prepared to give. We think, I have some doubt about that. Must be have some, must have some ulterior motive and so forth. And there have been disappointments in that realm also, obviously. So make it more complicated, more, more complex. But the fact is, like Pujapashima, she's using that analogy. You have to look through the small lens, then you will see. Look small, hmm? because he's very close to me. Looked like, well, the previous one must have been bigger and better. And there's all those stories about them over time, you know, that make them bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and the miracles get bigger and, and so forth. And, uh, and the myths, the truth, the reality is that, that uh, these gurus, they're not found by us. That is a teaching. They find us. Pramanda Brahmite Kon Bhagyavan Jeev Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Latabija. That is the coming from up to down. So we shall honor that. Faith is the is the deity, not our doormat to wipe our feet on. We should honor the faith of others. Wherever they find it. Hmm? To whatever extent encourage it, let it grow. If you see that it is weak, it will grow if you encourage in some way appropriately. So, that reminds me of that. Look through the small lens. Then you will see the stars. He was encouraging us, you go and make disciples. Maybe we should bring them to you. We are very qualified. No, he said. Swami Maharaj Prabhupada, he wanted you to do this. You go and do that. I will be in the background to help you. And if you find someone whose faith you cannot capture, then bring them to me. Then I will try, try to capture their faith for the mission, for the Sampradaya, for Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, anyway, a little tangent there, but I appreciate your point. 
where it took me for the moment. Hmm? Hmm. And they do teach about that, all these rules and things, but this is how to frame them, the gurus. I mean, there are... That's another thing, you know, it said, uh, one must have a guru. Probably used to quote, what was that verse? Tadbhigya martam sa guru One must have a guru. So it's kind of ominous, isn't it? Oh my God, I must have a guru. Here comes the law. You know, you know we were with, uh, you know, we were pretty lawless in my days when we met Prabhupada. Those were pretty lawless days and we were taking our lawlessness to the streets and the college campuses and so forth. We didn't come under Prabhupada because it was a law. He had so much love in his heart, so much affection. I mean, I never met anybody who loved me like that, except, well, you know, there was a second person, and that's Pujapachita Maharaj. I could understand, this is coming from the same place. Such affection, such kindness, so, so tender. And, you know, there are different degrees of that here and there. I've met a few people. And from the world of love, so but these two touched me, and we and I came, we came, uh, um, and also there it is again. We were rebelling a little bit at the time, coming from the regime, uh, coming under the shelter of Sridhar Maharaj, but out of affection. It, uh, I once I was interviewed by the governing body commission of the uh, International Society for Krishna Consciousness, so, so we're all in, so much indebted to, and um, they asked me. I had just been found out that I was reading the, the books of Sridhar Maharaj. I'd been told by the printers of the circulate amongst the uh, members and don't tell anyone unless you find an opening. And we, we thought, in a matter of days, it will be clear. Here's the answer to all the problems. Good guidance. Krishna consciousness. The only thing that's lacking. Here it is in Navadvip. This is how we thought. Naively, but philosophically correct. <laughs> Nonetheless, so they told me, move secretly, your well-known devotee, and so forth. But I got found out, of course, and then, and then what to do. And we were strategizing and so forth. And I was called into the Mayapur meeting for the, to the, and the governing body, they, they interviewed me, and they asked, this is the only question they had, what, why are you interested in Sridhar Maharaj? And I thought for a moment, and I said, well, this is why. I hadn't met Sridhar Maharaj, and I was going to, but I started reading his books, and I was instructed by those who were under his guidance that better to stay here and circulate for now, and you know, go there later. This was my poor, so I was going to go there. But um, I was in the meeting, and they said, "Why? Why are you interested in that?" And I said, "Well, that year I was the president of the sannyasis. They were giving these titles out, and so forth." And so I said, "I have a feeling that if uh, Sridhar Marsh was told." that the president of the sannyasis, Swami Tripurari, has left the mission. He's discouraged by the policies uh, since the departure of, uh, of the founder, charge, and so forth, that he would call for me. He, if he was told that, he would send someone to bring him here, and that, that he may not go away from Mahaprabhu. I said, that's how I feel. And he never met me, but I, and I never met him, but that's how I feel from just from reading the book. And I was listening to the recorded talks. I had like the 400... You know, tapes that uh, were given to me, and so, and I said, and conversely, I feel that if you guys were told that, none of you would, none of you would come after me or send anyone. That's how I feel. I said it might not be true. Forgive me, but that's how I feel. And they were silent. So, I figured, well, I guess I was right about that. <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> that broke my heart actually, but that's my heart was already broken, but it was on the mend by. Um, 
the affectionate uh, force of uh, Puja Bhatsudamara's love for, for, the, for living beings, for what to speak of, for devotees. So we are drawn by that. So the rules, I said, you must have a guru. It sounds a little ominous and we might think, I've seen that before. But the idea is this, I must have a guru. Means I must have a guru. I must make a connection there. I feel it. If I don't, everything will be lost. I must, out of love, out of affection, I must do it. Here I find I can, but my own heart is being articulated better than I, what I can put into words, things that I feel. It's not a foreign thing, you see, this uh, guru. It's, 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 it's our, own, our own heart coming before us. This is the teaching of Chaitanya Charitamrita. The Mahant is the external manifestation of the Chaitya Guru. Chaitya Guru, we can trace it almost to the consciousness, our, our sense of what, when we are sincere, we know the right thing to do. When you pray, you know exactly what you need to give up, or what the problem is. It immediately comes on your mind. You can't fool yourself. And you pray sincerely, you know immediately what to do. <laughs> so this kind of inner voice that comes before us, to speak louder, so that it's difficult for the mind, senses to drown it out, Looks like a foreign, separate person, but this Guru Tattva is not like that. Therefore, when he or she speaks and acts, it's such that we feel at home there. We feel as though this is articulating my own feelings. I, I couldn't have, I couldn't say it quite like that, but yes, it's, it's not something foreign. Home is in the heart. For home-knowing, home-going person is required. And home-going person speaks in such a way as to, they say, that hit home, touched my heart. I knew it was true. I already knew that was true. And I, I've been told about it it's in a way that I haven't heard it before, so wonderfully explained, and I have to go there. I must have a guru, this guru. It's out of love, not out of law. So all the laws, satatam kirtayantomam yatantascha drudabrata, all this drudabrata, all this namasyantas, all this striving, adhering to vrata, the vows and so forth, all this renunciation that's about giving up unfavorable things to bhakti and accepting favorable things to bhakti, though they may not be favorable to my mind or senses at the time. It's all about love. It's not about rules. It's not about, it's not moral life. It's not about moral life. It's not about renunciation. Only as much as moral life and renunciation has some place in bhakti, every gopi is worshipping all the gods and goddesses that are there, every gopa, they're following the karma marg, they do, <laughs> it's all compact there, all the morality is there, all the gyan that could come from renunciation is there. Just a village girl with no education, but if she comes here, oh my god, what is it said, what does Srinivas say? Nana Shastra That gopi had so much knowledge. Where'd she get her education? She came here and she took these shastras and explained what was right there in front of our face that nobody could see. Bhakti. This is the full idea of, of the sacred text. This is what Revelation is talking about. This is what attracts Bhagavan. So they took these shastras and they, they exhibited such comprehensive knowledge, put together in such a way as to explain the ecstasy of Jaitanya Mahaprabhu. 
Where do they get that knowledge? It means that all that knowledge is suppressed in gold. As I said, love knows no knowledge, no, no reason, we say. Even the shadow of love knows no reason. How much real love does not answer to reason? But it's not unreasonable. This is a wise love, this Golok dream. is a wise love. But the full face of that makes knowledge look like a small thing. Therefore, they're depicted like this. They're just village girls. They have no education, carrying milk on their head, milk pot on their head, superstitious like anything. Hmm? You read about it. It's full of superstition, the whole Leela. Prabhupada would sometimes carry those superstitions. He said, you know, if you clip your fingernails and don't clean up, and, you know, ghosts will come in the night or thieves will come, something like that. You believe it? <laughs> it's a superstition, actually. But in Golok, there's all kind of superstition. <laughs> so it has its place also. Some things you see, they may not be reasonable, but they may be good for bhajan. That's a fact. <laughs> it may not make sense, so many things in Bhagavatam. And you put your reason on that because you want to be a sensible person. There's some place for that, and then speaking about it in a reasonable way, and, and so forth, that takes some realization. But you don't have to be a big preacher to go back to Godhead. <laughs> you don't have to be burdened by that. I mean, it's good to preach and share your insights and so forth. But bhakti is pretty simple. And so many things in Bhagavatam, uh, even the superstitions, they're conducive for bhajan. Except hmm? that. Oh, you see the moon in the way that it's seen in Bhagavatam. <laughs> That'll be good for bhajan. It won't be good for modern science. It won't be good for your cell phone. You won't connect if you see like that. You won't get the connection. The math will be wrong for the satellite and so forth. But what is this world? How confused is it? What body is coming first over so soul, if there's a soul at all, and so forth. So it's, a, it's maya, land of misconception, land of measurement. And you cannot measure that which is infinite. That is the problem. Oh. Well, that math may be descriptive, as that engineer said, as I mentioned earlier, but it cannot describe this. It cannot describe love. Yes, you can say, moon is only made of dust. That's a fact. That's one angle of vision. But when the moon makes you fall in love, that's another thing. How does the dust make you fall in love? So, so Bhagavata is poetry. Wise poetry. Nigamukalpataro galitam polam shukumukadam matadabasam bitam pibadabhagavatam rasamalayam huraho rasikabhubi bhavaka. He says, This is so nice, this Bhagavat. It's the ripened fruit of the tree of Vedic literature, Nigamukalpataro galitam. It means what? Nigamukalpataro galitam falam. A ripe fruit. Where do you find the ripe fruit? Is it way up in the tree? You have to climb very high? It's right up. It's fallen off the tree. This is Bhagavad. It's fallen off the tree. It's so easy to get. It's right there. So much approachable. This is Krishna. He's coming to you as a human being, practically. In human dress, in human society, his Leela is most fully expressed. On location, this drama is performed there. So close he gets to us. We like his... Ratayatra is dragging him off the throne into the streets to make him accessible to everyone. By love's force, he's drawn. So it's a ripened fruit, and it's fallen from the tree. You can just go right there and pick it up and taste it. You become intoxicated. 
and pass out in Bhagavatam. What says, what should you do? And you wake up, drink more of that fruit, pass out again. So, reason has its place. And good behavior is there too, has its place. But in the context of bhakti, it should be seen. Outside of that is a small thing. So small a thing is good behavior even. And he says later on, it's a heavy statement. This is, a heavy, this is a very emotional chapter. He's beginning to talk about his devotees, what they do. So we should try to understand bhakti. If we come from the, the track of jnana and the track of karma into bhakti. These are the tracks on, that life works on. Renunciation and exploitation. Taking from the world or giving up the world. This is bhogtiyad. So we come into bhakti from these two tracks. Then we import, then we, what we do is we, we identify with the renunciation in bhakti. Or how bhakti brings followers. He's got a big temple. I used to have fun with this because some, here you go, you know, people say, Gomarj, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where are you? And so I'm such, oh, I heard you were in California. How many devotees do you have there now? There two. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess I shouldn't have asked. How embarrassing. He only has a two devotees. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of people. And, you know, some people won't think that anything's happening there. There's no money. There's no big buildings. There's no, nothing's happening. There must be something. So, or if there's not, you know, if he's not only eating Tulsi leaves on, you know, Fridays, so it's some renunciation. So we're, these have little to do with bhakti. Hmm? How much you sleep, how much you eat. Yeah, you should regulate that, but you should eat well and sleep well and do bhakti. If after all, don't eat enough, and don't, then you won't dream about Krishna at night. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, 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 this is a tendency. This, therefore, jnana, karmadi, and abhitam. We have to uncover these, our attraction. This is why bhakti is so hard to understand. You see, uh, the, it's nothing. It's nothing. You just become a servant. You say, that's it? That's all. You just do. You just do service. That's all. I mean, there's more than that. Is there's no powers that are going to come from? I'm going to get to get from this. There's no liberation from that. That's no. We're not interested in that. No. <laughs> not interested in liberation. Acquisition. What about subtle acquisition? Control? No. Not interested in that. Just do, just to serve. Just do what Krishna wants. Just please, please, please the Guru. Guru Bhakti. That is even higher than Krishna Bhakti. Guru Bhakti is an ang of. Krishna Bhakti, that's true. But sometimes it can be reversed. Guru Bhakti can be the Angi and Krishna Bhakti the Anga. And Krishna likes that more, even. But just to, just to do this menial service, that's all. This is Bhakti. So it doesn't look like anything. Like you have these fellows in India who do the rickshaws, you know, they all have the Sika. You know, they're all Sudra, Sudhavarna. That's why. What is the best of the four castes? The Sudras, obviously. Because they know how to serve. They've got a serving ego. You just have to focus them on the right subject and they know what to do. Everybody else is one extent or another has more of a taking ego. Sudha has a serving ego. He's, they're, they're, it's like inborn. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have one. We have a caretaker in our uh, monastery in, in Central America. Juan. He's the son, the eldest son of the man we bought the property from. And he's about ten years younger than me, this son. So, and, um, and so he, he he works for us full time. He's the best devotee there. He's just <laughs> yes, yes, Marsh. Whatever, what's yes, Marsh? Yes, we can do it. We can do it. Yes. <laughs> it's like whatever it is. Yes, it can be done. I'm, there must be a way. 
<laughs> so I just like marvel at, at him every time I speak to him. I point to all the bodies. This is here. This is an example. Let's see. So, but it doesn't look like any. They also have the small position, the servant, right? He's renounced, and he's got some power. We're attracted to all these things. We think something's happening there because this is how material life works. Bogan tiag, bhakti is very different. So that's why it, it, it's difficult to to understand. You have to come and make a big sound in the street with kirtan and so forth, bring attention. These Goswamis have written so many books, and we were a little used to it, so we think it's kind of obvious. But it's 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 not so easy to catch. Hmm? You know, all the sacred texts. Vyas was despondent. He wrote so many things. Nara told him, yeah, well, you haven't come out and said it about bhakti. Well, who will listen to that? <laughs> but don't talk about something that, you know, getting something or giving something up, which is even bigger. Usually, tag turns into bogue. They, you know, you renounce and then people become popular. People come and give you money and so forth. And you build a temple. Anyway, so bhakti is... It's like, um, you know, you give that example. Pujapachita Maharaj gave a nice example of, of I, I don't know if he was, maybe he referring to bhakti, but it's, it's applicable. The, the Gordian knot was, was to be untied by the one who, would, who untied that, would conquer India, was the idea. So big men came and tried to untie that knot, right? No one could untie it, and then Alexander came and said, I can, I can untie the knot. And they said, well, let's see. And he just cut it with his sword. And he said, oh, I could have done that. But anyway, he conquered India. It was said about Columbus. It was said that whoever can balance an egg on its end will sail the ocean. In other words, no, they come back successfully. Nobody can take an egg on its end. You know, it's round. It's going to fall over. And so the implication was that anybody who sailed the ocean would be like an egg trying to stand on it and it would fall over and crack. The earth is flat. <laughs> so, Columbus, he just couldn't couldn't identify with that. He said, "I can stand an egg on its end." He came forward and he went, made a little hole, and then stood it on the sand. Everybody said, "Oh, I could have done that," but he sailed the ocean. So there's some kind of common sense to bhakti that that, that, that escapes people. We're looking for more. We're looking for more, but there's some kind of common sense that penetrates in it, to, and it looks. Uncommon, because common sense is so uncommon in this plane. And that's what bhakti is. Very, very simple, but very, very, it's very difficult to grasp on account of our present conditioning. So Krishna's talking about it here nicely. Satatam kirtayantomam nitantas chadudavataha namasyantas chamam bhakta hitya yukta upasate. These are bhava bhaktas, he says. Nitya yukta upasate. They're doing Upasana, for nityukta. That's why they're doing it. They're doing worship, not for anything, but for union with me. And what kind of union? Nityukta. This isn't about gyan, bhakti for gyan, kirtan for mukti. Hmm? That's a shadow only of kirtan. They're chanting about me, for me, and in that context, they're worshiping me, they're bowing down to me. These are my devotees. And for what reason? For no reason. That love. When with no calculation. Not even because he's God, I'll do it. Because he's God, he should be bowed to. That is another thing. That is Vishnu Bhakti. 
But that is not Braj Bhakti. No. Because he's charming, because I love him. Nitya Yuktu Pasate. And of course, these two verses are surrounded in this, in this chapter by others. Fools who deride me, and then he will have to this speak about other types of worshippers. So clearly here he's speaking about bhakti. And he very nicely spoken about kirtan. And because you invited me here for kirtan, I chose this verse to speak on. Thank you for your time. Any question? Or comment? Okay. Help me in any way? Uh, I would appreciate that. Yes. Thank you for seeing so beautifully, Marsh. Um, you mentioned a couple of times when Krishna comes to this world, it's like he's coming on location. Um, could you maybe explain that a little bit more? I, I'm a little confused why like this is the real location as opposed to the local Vrindavan. Yes, actually the Goswamis, one of the secret teachings of the Goswamis, if you will, is that the Goloka is, is, is a, manifest, a particular manifestation of Gokul. Gokul here referring to Boma Vrindavan, earthly manifestation. So the reason is because that is called Devalila. This is called Naralila. Devalila means there's some more overtly, more Aishvarya, like you hear descriptions of, these are meditative descriptions of Krishna's pastime. Then there are jeweled palaces and you've heard such things even in Vrindavan and so forth. <coughs> but you don't find those on earth. They're mud huts then. He's really a cowherd. Really. That is the teaching. Devaloka means there's more some there's no Krishna imagine the plight of Mother Yasoda. How many mothers here? Raise your hand. How many have had sons? Is it a powerful experience to look wake up from in the maternity ward, look and there's your son in your in your arms? Is it just such a I mean that Vatsalya is so powerful. I mean daughter could be too, but it but Krishna was a boy, so I'm talking about Mother Yashoda. This just transform your life. How big you become at that time. How much you grow at that time. I mean, it's materially, but it's not material. Growth is not material. Growth and material, they don't go together. It's a, it's a growth. It's a, it's a growing of the heart in a, a sense of, of giving. So, now, Mother Yashoda is the mother of Krishna. In Golok, she never has that experience. How full can her Vatsalya Rasa be? He's not born there. <laughs> but in the Golok, in Gokul, he takes birth, actually. Kavi Karnapur made this point, that the whole Leela is for, is for Mother Yashoda, for Vatsalya Bhakti. It's one just side of way of looking, so that she can have the experience of a son being born. You understand? So it's more full, you see. It's actually fully played out. So it's on location, like if you filmed it in the jungle rather than in Hollywood. And so there's no props, but the real, real thing. He's really, Krishna is really the son of Yashoda. And he believes it. <laughs> so that's the idea. Does that help? Thank you. That was a great answer. Yeah. 
What else? Yes. Why is Krishna coming, like you mentioned that also, why is Krishna coming to earth but not to some, like, say, heavenly planet? Seem to be people more qualified and devotional, pious or Because love is a fallen condition, earth is a fallen condition, people are always falling in love here. A little bit of that in, in the Devalok, but there are no consequences for it there. Well, little, but not much. Mostly it's a playing out of good karma. Here is a different plane. There's, there's the making of one's situation here, right? By, by one's actions and so forth. And humans are frail. Weak love is weakness. So he comes on earth. And it's said, what happened? When the gods fall in love, what happened? Then they fall on earth. They have to come take birth on earth. If Indra goes and, you know, falls in love with somebody else's wife, he has to lose his position as a god. Right? There's so many stories. The gods are falling to earth because of some... They, they, because if they did something like the humans do, like Parakia, yeah. <laughs> not going on in heaven there. You fall down to earth for that. <laughs> so Krishna has come to earth. There he is going on. There's a more conducive human heart that is that is that is a, that is a better place for bhakti than the heavenly heart actually if you're lucky now that's true you may become you may go to heaven and I mean lucky and comparatively you may be lucky you may, you may not perfect your bhakti and you may go to heaven and from there you may take birth on earth where Krishna's performing his leelas many sakas come like that hmm that that route that's possible but earth is much more conducive not heaven you follow more passion yeah well actually it's it's motive ignorance sense indulgence is the motive ignorance material acquisition and position that is the motive passion you see love and bliss is ignorance <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. That's a fact. And it's called yoga maha, that kind of ignorance. The low end here, Tamagun, that is what is most like that, that plane there. Krishna is just doing sense indulgence, that's all. That's Tamaguna. So, I mean, it's not Tamaguna, but that's what it appears to be. Yes? Could you say a little more about reconciling sort of the empirical reality with the reality of the Bhagavatam, whether it's, you know, cosmology or even the date of Bhagavatam and Aracharya's Shri Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, so it's something back in that order. I would say this, that you, if you want to enter into that, you have to have much Guru Nishta. Hmm. Dangerous waters, but someone has to venture there, so you have to have Guru Nishta for that. Otherwise, you go into an environment that's not favorable for your bhakti, but then again, you have to think, right? And you want your heart and your head to come together. We have komal shraddha, tender faith, and if we get that in association of a strong devotee, we may not think very well. And it may be good for us, too. We stop thinking and accept all kinds of things that thoughtful people will tell you later don't make sense, and your own head will tell you in the absence of, of that great soul who influenced you in that way. But so the work is that you do have to kind of bring your heart and head 
together. So you have to reason about your faith, and that's what you're talking about, I think. In a, in a world where reason is, the, is considered the language that everyone as humans are supposed to speak, then you want to speak about bhakti in that language. And so, with good company, good association, you can I, learn to identify with the essence of bhakti. And then you can... Your faith isn't isn't dependent upon things that in that, that awakened your faith in the beginning. Like here's a book, and all the answers are in this book. Everything, and then later on you find well, actually there's about ten different manuscripts of this book, and they have different verses <coughs> in some places, and uh, and uh, and by empirical evidence it appears it was written, you know, on this date and so forth. And right, you come. This is the kind of thing you're talking about. So. You come in touch with all of this, and and then, but does your faith depend on those things? This is the question. How far you've gone in that faith, in experience, will determine that. And if not very far, then you shouldn't venture there. But if far, and your faith is deep, and faith means here experience. If your experience is deep, hmm. then the deeper your experience, the more your first you will coming out of this tender faith and making a strong and well reasoned faith then there will be a struggle. You can become an atheist in that. That may be difficult. That, but there's a point then when, when faith is deep and there is experience. And then reasoning becomes subordinate to one's experience, to one's taste in ruchi. And then one has all kind of magical reasoning to come up with to support <laughs> their experience. They just come up with these things to support their experience. Because the experience, they can't, it's just it's driving them. It's their life. What was previously their food, their medicine, bhakti, has become their food now. Hmm? They know they're eating. They're nourished by this. That's the, so there's nothing that can change that person. And so in that environment, then, where there are doubts about things that previously fostered your faith, they won't um, affect the faith of such a person. That's what it means when it says Uttamadikari is well versed in the scripture. It doesn't mean he just knows or she knows all kinds of verses means they have some spiritual genius. These like one-liners or something, you know, that just like retire doubts and, uh, and, uh, and enable people to go forward. They also suspend the reasoning of people who want to bear down on, on the tradition with reasoning in a way that it, it, it itself does not lend itself to. It feels put off by, because it's, it's after all, it's an inferior thing, reason. You understand? So, but anyway, you know, I think it's good that we need some rational kind of explanations of, of bhakti and Gaudiya Vaishnavism that have intellectual integrity and so forth. But I would tell you, it's not—it's not, you know, it's—it's it's not um, smooth sailing. It's there's a, there's a, you should have good guidance for that. Um, but if you you know you want to ask about something specific and so forth, you know, dates of the Bhagavatam, when was the Bhagavatam written? And so on. I mean, you know, there's there are different ways to look at it, but I think that you can look at it the way they, it's been looked at empirically and so forth. You can see the evidence, and you can say maybe it's possible. It doesn't change the teaching in the Bhagavatam. I mean, the Bhagavatam is so. There's no, objectively speaking, there's no book like the Bhagavatam that's so rich theologically. I mean, I mean, amongst the books out there that are. The sacred text from antiquity or in modern writing. This is rich thing. This tension between Aishwarya and Madhurya that's played out throughout. I mean, he has to be God, but 
he has to be sweet. It's like it's it's incredible, incredible theological accomplishment, the Bhagavatam, and uh, the teaching, deep and rich and so forth. So I mean that doesn't change. You can, uh, you know, you look at there's different ways to reason about it. We used to say it's all written by Vyas. All the Vedas written by, you know. Then people say, well, look, it's obviously this kind of Sanskrit was written at this time, and then. Thousands of years, hundreds of years later, this kind of Sanskrit was written. Here, this book is in this type of Sanskrit. Well, you know, you can, you can reason about it. You can, you can say, well, everybody puts, you know, their own puts Vyasa on it because they feel they were empowered by Vyasa to do it. So they, they rather than put their own name on it, they put his name on it. So you can try to reason like that. It'll only go so far with rational people. The real thing is here, not as much is it is, is it important to make the Bhagwat theology rational as it is to make rational people give up their penchant and necessity for everything to make make sense. Now, Prabhupada was strong on that and rather crude about it in a way. <laughs> and it worked on some of us, so, so, so some success. So you may have to do it with more finesse and more subtlety and so forth, and you want intelligent people to participate, but cosmology of the Bhagavatam, like, you know, there's there's things there, subtle things in there. It's speaking from a subtle yogic perspective, but then it's speaking from a perspective of uh, Vedic science at the time, and that's what the Bhagavatam says. If you study the text carefully, Sukadev says, Sukadev is asked by the Raj, "Tell me about Maya Shakti," because wow, if I know more about that, and surely I'm going to love Bhagwan that much more because it seems pretty fascinating from my perspective. Tell me about it. What does Sukadev say? He says, I can't tell you about it. It's like, it's, it's, it, nobody can understand it, he says. It's a transformation of the modes of nature. That's what it is. It's a magic show. It's like, where's the pea under the shell? One, two, or three. It's like, you, he, that's what he says about it. He says, but I'll try to explain it to you according to what the local people at this time, Puranic historians, so this is what he's saying, have said about it. And so there's local, local mountain, and there's this, and that, and so forth. That's the way he talks about it, because he said that's the way it's been talked about then. So now it's talked about differently. What's really being talked about in both instances is that the whole thing is like, who knows what it is? Is there multiverses? Is there many universes? Is it a wave? Is it a particle? I mean, it's further out. You know, physics is one science that God has always been in the vocabulary, and it always will be. When you go out in the macro, or are you going to the micro, you know, inspection of the world, it's like, just fascinating. Like a guy like Carl Sagan, who was popular years ago, he said, why do I need God? I mean, I, to be excited, I, I think the world's just fascinating. Everything about it, which is true. It's basically what Sugadeva is saying. But we say that differently, from, it has a conscious source, it has intelligence to it. And that's fascinating. But then... The, the 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 resistance to that is more of a more of a moral issue than it is an intellectual issue. That's the bottom line. Because if there's no intelligence behind, there's a huge implication there, a huge implication for freedom or apparent freedom. And if there's intelligence, there's huge implications as to what we're free to do or not to do, and so forth. So this is really comes to a moral argument more than it is an intellectual. Argument, but anyway, my point here, very simply, in this, with regard to the specific instance that you raise, cosmology of the Bhagavatam and modern-day cosmology, they're very different. But the important difference for us is not the differences of how far this planet is or that planet or so forth, but 
We make a difference that, that we say there's intelligence to the universe, and they say that there's not. Otherwise, both are pretty fascinating. Quarks and, you know, multi-universes, parallel universes, that's about as weird as, you know, anything jumbo dweep, mangoes falling from trees and splashing and making rivers, you know, as, as you know, it's equally fascinating and... Uh, and beyond uh, the, 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 the grasp of one's intellect. And that's the shnumaya. That's the point. That's how to talk about it. You understand? The shnumaya cannot be measured. Maya means to, the attempt to do so. To measure it. To bring it in the fist of your intellect. You can't, is the point. So, to do that, to, to, you know, to think like that, requires some good company, strong faith, deep understanding. It requires deep understanding what is essential and what, what what is not. I don't know if, if you associate with people that do that, then, you know, then you can learn something about how to do that, I think. And that's how you, what you're asking, how to do that, right? How to speak to people intelligently about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, about the things that don't match up to their... Yeah, I mean, speaking about it is nice. Thoughtfully. Reconcile myself personally, and uh-huh. I mean, you can always make something up. I mean, that's not hard to do. We have so many right. tricks and right. so much to work with. It's not really hard. But just mm-hmm. It's important. Personally, I think it's important to put intellect in its place. You have to really understand the limitations of intellect. That's a very important point, and it's not that hard to, sure. to grasp intellectually, but to apply it is a little difficult. Because Intellect is as pressing as, as your tongue. You know, for some people, it's a real problem. As, as pressing as your genital. It needs to be satisfied. Bhagavatam invites the intellect to come and present itself. And it, um, it, I think it's up to the, to the, to the challenge. And it and very much is a, a bashing of the, of the unbridled intellect. That's very much of that, that's a thrust of the Bhagavatam. So it's looking at it at a kind of a basic level. What is intellect and what is its capacity to reveal, to satisfy you? And, you know, tarko, apratishtana, it can't satisfy you. Any argument has another argument. Everything I've said is another argument, a counter-argument, even though you may like it. You like it not because it's reasonable, because you have a certain psychology. And why you have a certain psychology? Because you have some bhakti sanskar. So the reason you're involved in bhakti is because of bhakti. The reason you like the logic of bhakti is because you've got a sanskar for bhakti. Not that it's very good logic. I mean, it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) But no logic is perfect. That's the point. So you need more bhakti sanskar. That will satisfy you. Intellect will never satisfy you. Intellect is just sitting on the fence. Faith is another thing. Intellect is faith sitting. Excuse me, fence sitting. Faith... Faith and faith is faith is active. Faith is not belief. Faith is a, is a, you know, I have to go. For, I have to do this. I I'm compelled. Faith is faith means fulfilled, right? Intellect is the doubting instrument. So as much as that's active, then we're proceeding with caution, and that's our you know we're troubled by that, no doubt. But it has to be seen in in perspective. You really need to if you really have have a doubt in intellect's capacity to satisfy you, then then you're in good 
safe ground. Hmm? It's a big topic, but I've spoken for quite some time. I don't want to wear everybody out. So with your kind permission, I'll stop there. See, Hari Kirtan Ki Jai. 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 Jai